Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to Trending. We are talking about everything from organ donation. Have you seen that mark on getting your new driver's license, renewing it to donate your organs upon death? What does that mean? Does it actually mean upon death or can they take your organs out of you while you're still alive? That's a great question. Have you thought about it? Maybe you think it's a decision for another day later on or if you're really true with yourself, honest with yourself, you'll recognize it's probably it's something to think about and know about now. And it actually gets into a larger debate today surrounding the view of the human person. Uh, we're going to dive into this a little bit later on because I think it's a great question. We're also taking your questions today. The number is 888-914-9149. If you're a little bit of a philosopher buff, we're going to talk about how Freud... Karl Marx and Friedrich Nietzsche are all wrong about the human person, but we're going to touch on how needed it is to see some key elements they see about the fallen state of humanity, but how they limit the human person. They limit psychology and how we view ourselves in human anthropology to just our fallen state without seeing the full big picture of what God has called us to and what God makes possible in our lives in the face of those challenges, those bad habits, those outright sins that each and every single one of us struggle with. So we'll be talking about that from the perspective of Pope St. John Paul II today in our Theology of the Body series. I hope you've joined us. It's been an absolute blast to unpack the relevant issues happening today from the lens, the prophetic lens of Pope St. John Paul II, who laid out this prophetic theology of the body that little did we know would help guide us through the crises of today. Joining me now on Trending is Jordan Almanzer from Colby Academy. Jordan is doing incredible work there at Colby Academy. They are working to help people homeschool their kids with sound Catholic education programs, online learning, curriculum, you name it. You choose the way you want to homeschool, even if it's a little bit of a hybrid. And we love the work they're doing at Colby Academy, but they're doing something new, and that is they're sponsoring a faith-based Catholic college fair. This college fair is happening online, and it made me want to talk a little bit, Jordan, about picking a Catholic college. Welcome back to Trending. Let's talk about education. Sounds great. Thank you for having me back on. It's fascinating to me to see the debate right now surrounding education. We've spent a lot of money on this. A lot of people are going into debt. And my thoughts are if you're going to go to school, you need to make sure whether you're a parent helping to fund it or a young person discerning where to go, 
that you can tolerate the environment you're going into. And for me personally, I had to be in a Catholic university setting. I went to community college and my heart just ached. And I think sometimes knowing ourselves is key as well. I know people who have done great in community college settings and have transitioned in to transfer to a university, kept their heads down, got in and out. Uh, but for me, Catholic college was everything. I went to John Paul, the great Catholic university. It's on the Newman Guide. And I didn't lose my faith in college. My faith grew in college. And yet I saw a lot of my peers, both who didn't go to Catholic school, but also some who did and who were trying to find their faith for the first time, struggling for that decision. So why is it so important that someone chooses a faithful Catholic college and how do you find that? Yeah, it's it's a great question. And we're we're very blessed in our time that, that there are resources such as the the Newman Guide that has the Newman Guide list of, of Catholic colleges. So there are a lot of colleges out there with the name Catholic, but um, statistics show that even at those, not to mention like a state school or something like that, um, some of the nominally or, or historically Catholic schools, statistics yes. show it's around, you know, one out of eight Catholics that enter those schools end up losing their faith. And the Newman Guide schools, uh, the statistics are not even close to that, of course, of course. I mean, it's, it's probably the opposite, if even more so. Um, but and and that's because Christ is at the center of these schools, and this is a real opportunity. And I I think that that there is such a thing as a Newman guy that kind of brings all of this together, bring brings them all together in one place, and you can kind of peruse the list and see what's the best fit for you. So these schools are a chance to sort of extend what you've started already with your with your students. From our perspective, what you've started in homeschooling them in a Catholic environment. I want to give a little bit of a testament, Jordan, to going to a good Catholic college because I think that's key. I'm in this season of life where I've seen friends who even went to my small Catholic university, John Paul the Great Catholic University, on the Newman Guide, great theology. I still saw that small handful who struggled with their faith, some who might have left the faith. But here's what's fascinating, Jordan. What was really neat to see is that give it some years as they stay connected with some of those friendships from college or they reconnect with those friends from college, it's inspiration for them to come back to the Catholic mm -hmm. Church. It's inspiration for them to talk about those true, good, and beautiful ideas that they learned in college that for some reason they fell away from, but yet they saw the ideal. They saw the good, and now they want to return back to those friendships, and they come back to the Catholic Church even when they stray because they had that solid foundation and the peers that helped in influencing them. So even when someone maybe struggles with their faith, that sound Catholic theology, those good Catholic friends makes a world of difference years later. Oh, absolutely. That's absolutely true. I've so I work at one of the the small smaller colleges, so it's a very tight-knit community. Magdalen College here in New Hampshire is um mm -hmm. what I, I I do that part-time along with working for Colby. So, yeah, the, the the community that's built up in that way and 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 the strength of those relationships, I am absolutely sure that that goes a long way into the future. And you can hear that from alumni and, and testimonies from, from people who have made these connections during their undergraduate years that, uh, yeah, it was a, a really important part of that time in their life for sure. So talk to me about what's coming up with the Cardinal, Cardinal Newman Society Virtual College Fair that Colby Academy is hosting. 
Yeah, so this is um, this this is something we're we're really happy to be partnered with Newman Guide. We we have the exact same ideals as them, and so it's it's a great opportunity for us to get our own students in front of of these colleges and and the great speakers that they're going to have that day. So with this, it's going to take place next Wednesday. So it's it's Wednesday, September twenty seventh, and there are two sessions: one from ten a.m. to twelve p.m. and then one seven p.m. to nine p.m. and those are Eastern time time zone. So it's um, all online, correct? Yes, it's all online. So relevantradio.com slash Colby. If you go there, that will lead you right to it. And you, you kind of have to get there a little bit early. I would advise to do it, meaning that you should register early to make sure they don't fill up. But yeah, it's the best way to get these colleges and representatives of those colleges, along with a lot of inspiring speakers like Patrick Riley, who's the president of the Cardinal Newman Society and others to get them right in your home where you have access to it and you can hear about all the great work they're doing. So that's relevantradio.com forward slash Colby, relevantradio.com forward slash Colby. One of the things that I love when you're looking for different colleges, you have this Newman guide. So maybe you're looking for somewhere close to home. You can find that closer to home college. Maybe you are looking for something a little larger, particular types of educational background you're looking for. There are many choices, I don't think there's a one size fits all because I know, Jordan, some people want more of a classical education when it comes to the university level and others want to focus in and get ready, get trained in the skill from nursing to computer science. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that, that's what's really great about this guide is that there there's large universities down to very small colleges that are just little liberal arts colleges like the one that I work at. And um, but yeah, there's opportunities for everybody. And and we've been really excited to, to make connections with, with these schools in the past. Um, we, we have at Colby, so we've, we've gotten a chance in my role at Colby, I've gotten a chance to meet several of the presidents of these colleges. And I just love that no matter the size of the college, we all have the same mission. And so it, it reminds me somewhat of, um, of vitamins. There are certain vitamins that you need for different things. And, and I think it fits with our students. So not every Colby, Colby is not linked to any one college. And um, we're kind of unique in that in our space, which I think is really great. And so we're able to find out about these colleges and be like, you want to go into nursing, then you should go to this school. If you want to become a, a veterinarian, you might want to go over here. If you want to be in the liberal arts, go to one of these schools. And we've been around long enough that we've, we've seen and built this relationship with schools that we have uh, alumni that can sort of come back and, and, and give testimonies of this is why you should go to this particular college if you're interested in this particular thing. So I think it's really great that, that they have all the sizes of schools and all the areas of focus out there available now in this Catholic environment. And not all Catholic colleges are the same. I think that's key what you said earlier. A lot of people going to seemingly Catholic universities are still losing their faith because they are not all faith-filled. I can tell you some that I live close to, they have the label Catholic, yet we have seen barbaric, and I will just say barbaric is the best way to describe it, things being sponsored by faculty, staff, teachers. And we're even talking about uh, former priests, former religious sisters who come in to teach classes, and these classes are the antithesis of what the Catholic Church teaches about theology, philosophy, 
and the human person. So this is really important that if you're looking at colleges, you know someone who is, they need to know about the Newman Guide Virtual College Fair that's coming up this Wednesday, September 27th. It's all online and you can register at relevantradio.com forward slash Colby because our good friends at Colby Academy are sponsoring and supporting this virtual college fair. So learn more at relevantradio.com forward slash Colby. Thank you, Jordan, for joining me today. Again, Colby Academy is an excellent resource for anyone who's maybe a little interested in homeschooling or maybe you're struggling through homeschooling and need a little bit more support. Colby Academy is a great way to find out a little bit more about what homeschooling is. You're listening to Trending with Tim Murray here on Relevant Radio. We're going to talk about organ donation. I've been receiving questions about this recently. And it's so important that we address it, especially with this attempted redefinition of what brain dead is and also this liberality that some physicians are taking that's very opposed to human life in engaging in living organ harvesting. When is that or is that ever okay? I will answer that today on Trending. But have you heard about our new video series, The Eucharistic Encounters? I'm so excited for these videos coming from Father Rocky. They're powerful short videos of lives that were changed by Jesus Christ as told by Father Rocky in beautiful and timeless locations. You'll receive a new video every week for the next 33 weeks. You'll deepen your love for Christ in the Eucharist. So sign up for these free videos at relevantradio.com slash encounter. That's relevantradio.com slash encounter. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Organ donation. This is a fascinating topic. It's interesting, but it's also a little frightening. Now, a friend of mine online recently asked on Instagram, Maria said, uh, thank you for prayers because pray for Maria. She's been battling cancer and is struggling with depression. Please, Lord, help heal her, help strengthen her family, and help her through the woes of life that can be so impactful when you're experiencing depression. Um, let's talk a little bit about depression. Organ donation, though, because that was one of her questions. She was asking, especially, for example, when you see that opportunity to write off when you go to the DMV that you want to be an organ donor. She's, she's asking, what is the Catholic take on this? This is a great question. You may have recently heard me talk about the attempted redefinition at what it means to be brain dead. This is actually very relevant to this conversation because there are two types of organ donation that we could really classify it as. One is that you can donate vital organs, but you can only donate your vital organs once you're dead. You can donate non-vital organs. That's always permissible. And you can be alive for that. So an example, so those two types would be non-vital organs that are permissibly allowed to be donated while living would be a kidney, a lung, a portion of the liver, a pancreas, or an intestine, for example. So those are examples of non-vital organs that you could donate while alive and still continue to live your life. Because we can't say, hey, let me give you my heart and I will die to give this to you. That doesn't jive with Catholic churching church teaching. However, however, you could donate a vital organ if you were dead. But here's where the debate ensues. And that is the definition of legally dead. 
I'm going to put a link in the episode notes to an episode I recently did about the attempted redefinition of what it means to actually be brain dead because right now there's a huge push to redefine what it means to be brain dead. And in fact, even without the redefinition, physicians and families are taking upon themselves to, in many respects, end the life, kill a family member because maybe they don't have the sound Catholic teaching or maybe they don't want to see someone suffer. And so they engage with in what's called misery killing or death with dignity. It doesn't matter if we don't want someone to suffer. We don't just end a person's life the way we would in animals. And I think that's significant. And you, we could talk a whole lot about the idea of redemptive suffering and Jesus Christ suffering on the cross for us. We didn't just say, hey, you're suffering. Let us just end your life now rather than allowing you to go through with the passion, with the carrying of the cross, with the beating and whipping that occurred at the scourging. We didn't do that. And I think that's important that we understand just as a meditating piece as to why we don't go along with anything such as physician-assisted suicide or euthanasia. Those are two major topics that should and must be dealt with in and of themselves that aren't acceptable. But right now, for the purpose of discussing organ donation, I'm speaking for a moment about what's considered legally dead and brain dead, because as there's an attempt to redefine what brain dead is, my major warning that I gave this summer when this conversation was happening is that if we redefine brain dead, one, the Catholic Church would never accept it, because the attempt is to redefine brain dead while perhaps vital Organs are still functioning. Someone's maybe still breathing on their own, and there could even still be brain activity. Again, if you want to learn more about that, I link to it. But here's the deal. You need to understand that brain death individual needs to have three important components. If someone's actually brain dead, that means they need to have zero brain activity. They cannot breathe on their own, and recovery is not possible. And you need to know that those three fundamental things are not occurring or that they cannot occur, that is the ability to recover. And that should be the indication of whether or not someone can move forward and allowing an individual's body to completely die and not be sustained by machines, what we would call extraordinary measures to keep someone alive rather than ordinary measures to keep someone alive. Someone does not have to stay living based on extraordinary means to do so. That is staying on a breathing machine when there is no possibility of recovery and the person has zero brain activity. I hope that definition or that explanation is clear because there is, again, this attempt to harvest body parts out of people who are actually still alive or to redefine what brain dead means to harvest body parts for the sake of research, also in a goodwill for the sake of helping to transplant vital organs to other people. But there are two really important things that need to occur when we talk about organ donation. Number one, for vital organs, the person must be dead. And number two, the individual must have given their full consent to organ donation. And this gets into another conversation of why it's so important for each and every single one of us to have advanced directives, guidance for how we want end-of-life issues to be, uh, to, go, to have gone about, and how we want our last wishes to be executed. I think this is really important because our Catholic faith has a lot to say about advanced directives, about how we will die, types of treatment we will, we, 
will or will not receive. Uh, for example, whether or not we will have organs donated. I think that a simple check mark of saying you'll donate organs at death at the DMV isn't quite enough or per se safe. I would rather be cautious and make sure that advanced directives were very clearly labeled. And you can do that. Working with the National Catholic Bioethics Center, they have very clear guidelines to help create advanced directives so that if and when that time comes, whether it's if sooner than you expect or later in life, you already have a sound Catholic approach to the generosity you may show in donating organs or not. We're not required to donate organs. I think that's really important as, as I'm kind of thinking about this personally because it's not something that I've ever been a fan of for myself. I was not one to be interested in donating organs. I would be open to giving them if my children needed them, but there is something very beautiful and honorable if you so choose and do not want to donate organs about understanding that we have the redemption of the body and you want to have your body intact. And if that rubs you uncomfortably, you're not required to donate organs. However, the church speaks very honorably of those people who are inspired in generosity to donate organs. So I hope that helps to provide some clarity because there are really key elements to help make this an ethical and moral choice rather than one that can leave your body a suspect or vulnerable, should I say, to scientific experimentation, to having vital organs harvested out of yours or someone you know's body while they're still living. And so that, re that definition of brain dead is really key. And we can't trust, unfortunately, secular society or the medical community to always protect us on this front. And I've seen this firsthand more recently dealing with medical issues. I know some of you were so prayerful with us a couple years ago when my mother was really ill and in the hospital and very frightening. We almost lost her. And just having that knowledge of how to handle some of these moral, ethical, medical questions before they become a problem is very important so that when you find yourself or a loved one in that situation, you have sound guidance from your faith that helps you in the moment to know where to go and how to make these decisions. So the National Catholic Bioethics Center is a fantastic resource. I'm going to post a link to them online. That's on my Twitter and Facebook at Timmerie, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, -E, and also information about forming advanced directives. So please check those out. You're listening to Trending with Timmerie here on Relevant Radio. If you have a question, love to take it. Numbers 888-914-9149. We're going to come back talking about why some of the seemingly great philosophers had key ideas to understand the fallen state of our human nature and our sinfulness, but at the same time, they missed the mark on understanding what we are capable of through the grace of Jesus Christ. We'll be right back here on Trending. This September 27th, our show sponsor Colby Academy is partnering to host the Newman Guide Virtual College Fair, which is bringing together the best faithful Catholic colleges and universities from around the world. Register at relevantradio.com slash Colby. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 
have a question, want an answer with a Catholic take, the number is 888-914-9149. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Interesting question that came up about organ donation. Someone was asking about whether or not it's okay as a Catholic to donate your organs. I gave that answer just a few moments ago. So if you missed it, head over to relevantradio.com, catch the podcast or wherever you listen to your podcast, especially the Relevant Radio app where you can listen on demand, send text links to episodes to other people. But I thought that this was a really great uh, follow-up. And it is, if I don't believe in organ donation, is it hypocritical to accept an organ when I need it? No, it's not hypocritical to accept an organ when you need it. And again, I shared earlier, um, again, the Catholic Church allows for organ donation. However, there are stipulations. Number one, you can never harvest vital organs from a living human being. And there's a problem because a lot of people are trying to redefine brain dead, either arbitrarily on their own and they're harvesting living organs, or there's actual an actual attempt to legally redefine brain dead that isn't actually dead because they want to take your organs. And there's a whole conversation we could have about how this is occurring. Uh, if you missed that conversation, please listen to this episode later on. But I think that question, if I don't believe in organ donation, is it hypocritical to accept an organ when I need it. Well, number one, you don't have, it's not morally incumbent upon you to accept a organ if you need an organ. That's not absolutely necessary for you to take an organ donation, organ transplant. I think that's important to start off with. I think that culpability for taking an organ transplant uh, can change a little bit, perhaps, and you need to follow your conscience. Perhaps if you're a young parent and uh, you have people who rely on you for care, that's a whole nother conversation. But the question at hand is, is it hypocritical to accept an organ when I need it if I'm not interested in being an organ donor? No, because this is an extraordinary sense of generosity to donate a part of your body to someone else. I also think fundamentally there's a natural uneasiness a lot of people have with regard to organ donation because I think because when we understand the resurrection of the human body, we believe as Catholics that we're called to um, never scatter ashes, for example. The church more recently has accepted the idea of allowing your body to be cremated, but you cannot scatter ashes. The body still has to be buried. And that's key, right? Because one of the corporal works of mercy is to bury the dead. So we need to bury the body. It's a sense of honor because our bodies await the resurrection of the body. And I think that's key. And so some people say, well, I don't want my body to be scattered. Will my body still be resurrected if not all my parts are there when I'm buried because I had an organ transplant or donated? That's not an issue. But I understand when people feel uncomfortable with the idea of the resurrection of the body and that idea of having donated organs. I think a lot of people have this idea of wanting to be intact when they go into the ground, even though their body has died. So I see the concern, the question of hypocrisy, but I also understand that discomfort for some people with not wanting to have organs harvested or donated. And so I think that this whole conversation, we have to see that there's not hypocrisy in accepting an organ donation, even if you're not willing to donate an organ. So just some thoughts there. And I thought that that was a great question. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. And if you have a question, number is 
9149. So what I want to talk about is why some of those seemingly great philosophers in the eyes of secular psychology and modern day ideology think that these people who are very influential, they think their thoughts are wonderful and should be the way we live our lives. So whether you're a philosopher buff or not, those three philosophers I want to talk about in a few moments here will be Sigmund Freud, Karl Marx, and Friedrich Nietzsche. They have all had a massive influence over how many people live their lives today. They are influencers. We talk a lot about influencers on social media. Well, they are influencers who have helped to set a precedence on the way we think, the way we write. And it's important that we understand what we agree with in their thought and also what we disagree with. And this is part of what Pope St. John Paul II did all those years ago during his Theology of the Body series that he delivered in the 1970s and 80s. And I think that this conversation is so fundamental because we're in the thick of catechetical talks 44 through 46. And this Theology of the Body focus is centrally focused on human anthropology. It's not human sexuality. It's human anthropology first and foremost. We've been walking through Jesus's teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And what Pope St. John Paul II indicates is that this Sermon on the Mount is not open for interpretation. This section where we've been talking about it for days now, but it's so important and central, Pope St. John Paul II says, to understanding and human anthropology. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 28, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Pope St. John Paul II says, it's stupendously concise, that is, this scripture, in comparison with everything written on this topic in world literature. That is, this idea of concupiscence, our tendency towards sin, people tend to excuse it or legalize it. And what Pope St. John Paul II is saying is that Jesus Christ is stupendously clear. I love that word. You couldn't get more of an emphasis if you asked for one. The idea is key. There's a difference between how we can act versus how we should act. There's a difference between desire and the choices we choose to indulge in from our thoughts to our actions. And I think that's key in this whole idea is that Jesus is challenging and holding us responsible, culpable, even for those very things we think about. Pope St. John Paul II ends up addressing woefully wrong anthropologies, that is, ideas about the human person, the way we live, and how far wrong they go, go, yet often they still peek their head in modern psychology and often sometimes even just in the way we think about ourselves and others and navigate our lives. For example, Manichaeism. I think that this is key to understand that it's this rejection of the body, or should I say this idea that the body is the source of all evil. So some people then like to reject the body as irrelevant. That's wrong. It's a heresy. We're body and soul. And some people like to blame the body as the source of the problem. Manichaeism was completely rejected by the Catholic Church many years ago, yet still some people within Christian Catholic communities struggle with thinking that the body is strictly the source of sin and the soul is what's good and there's this division between the two. 
And there is a war between the body and the soul. But the body is not to be rejected, nor is the soul to be rejected. It's that we need to, through grace, the grace of Christ, and through using our intellect and free will, actually make choices that dictate our body rather than just following our desires, our carnal pleasures. And so what Pope St. John Paul II is pointing at when we talk about manichaeism, this body as the source of evil, is that it's wrong because there's a value in the body. We fundamentally understand that the body has value. We don't condemn or blame the body or other people's bodies, and we don't use our body as an excuse to sin or as an excuse for our sins. Then Pope St. John Paul II points to three key philosophers, thought leaders, what we'd call today influencers, who have had a major influence on modern day thought, behavior, and psychology. And he points to areas of convergence and divergence in what we can, again, agree about and disagree about with regard to these three philosophers. That is, we have Sigmund Freud, Karl Marx, and Friedrich Nietzsche. Friedrich Nietzsche, we'll start with him, he and these other three all have kind of a key area of the threefold concupiscence that their thought appeals to. So we know the threefold concupiscence, pride of life, concupiscence of the eyes, and concupiscence of the flesh. This is exactly what we saw play out in the fall of Adam and Eve. We see something is desirous to make one wise. It's appealing to the eye. It's good for food, right? That fleshly pleasure, that desire of the eye, the idea of power. This was part of the fall of Adam and Eve. And with our now fallen human nature, we have this threefold concupiscence that we have to battle. And what's interesting is so much of modern psychology can often be right, but what they do with aftermath, how they expect the human person to thrive is where we disagree. So Friedrich Nietzsche, for example, really in many respects did understand this pride of life in his ideologies, the perfection of the man, the overman. But the problem was, is that it was all about power and perfection of a human person, the superman, but all without God. Man, in a certain respect, becomes God. And so while he got the idea right in this understanding that we have this pride of life, and the way we function, we're prideful. He was wrong in how he tried to combat it. There's a Marxism, the concupiscence of the eyes that's lived out in this objectification of the human person, this utilitarian mindset of both kind of an idea of distribution, but with that distribution, we use every individual person as subject to the government and you're just for the purpose of utility. You should view yourself as a utility and you should use others as a utility. Then there's Freudianism. Freudianism is all about, you can imagine, that concupiscence of the flesh and that Freudian libido, as we might call it, that Pope St. John Paul II also referred to it as, where everything's about sex at the end of the day. The problem is, is that all three of these ideas almost point to this idea that we just can't help ourselves. We're base. In many respects, just like manichaeism that says the body is the source of evil, these two say, well, you just are prideful and you should indulge in that pride and become the Superman. Or, well, we'll just reduce you to a tool because we have this concupiscence of the eye or the concupiscence of the flesh and the Freudian libido. The way we, so we agree with some of those fundamental struggles of the human person, that concupiscence, 
but we diverge from that and that concupiscence, our fallen human nature, is not, as Pope St. John Paul II says, is not the absolute principle of anthropology and ethics, nor is it the interpretation of the human person that we should follow. A true human anthropology sees grace at the core, sees the original creation of the human person, as we've explained in the beginning parts of this Theology of the Body series, that fundamentally the human person is good. Fundamentally, the human person is radically different. There's a chasmic difference between animals and the person. And that when we unfold this idea within ourselves of understanding God intended us from the dawn of creation for himself. He created us in his image and likeness. He created us with this wonderful sexual complementarity, complementarity of maleness and femaleness, not just on a sexual carnal level, that the human person was made to enjoy life. And I think that so often we live in a culture of misery. So often this is relevant because people think, well, I'm just going to embrace the suck because life just is challenging. Or I'm going to follow whatever I desire and say, you do you, I do me, and we'll enjoy carnal pleasure, hedonism. There are many and various interpretations of how human life should be lived out. But what Pope St. John Paul II is saying, that in this statement from the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus, that he is stupendously concise in how we should order our lives. What's frightening is that we have free will. We have a choice. But that how we think and act both are held up in the moral order. That we'll be responsible for both how we thought, what we allowed ourselves to continue to desire, and how we acted. That's why when Pope St. John Paul II points to Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, Whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is the catalyst for us to understand. Even our thoughts are relevant. And when we look at human anthropology, what a true human anthropology is, Pope St. John Paul II says the state of the fall and the same time redeemed nature is a part of that human anthropology. The original intention for the human person was that we were fundamentally good, created in the image and likeness of God, made for complementarity, understanding that spousal meaning of the body, the union of body and soul, the union with God and the union with neighbor, and that we must be redeemed in our nature by God. St. Paul talks about the mystery of the human person. He has that phrase, redemption of the body, that Pope St. John Paul II loves to cite in the theology of the body. He's looking at Romans chapter 8 here, where St. Paul talks about how all of creation groans inwardly for the redemption of the body because all of creation is only brought back into proper order through the grace of God. This is why we need the sacraments. This is why we can't just be happy on our own. And no secular idea of the five steps of happiness will make you happy. God alone will. So why St. Augustine, after living a very sinful and hedonistic and prideful life, said, my soul, our souls are restless for you, God, until they rest in you. Secular society doesn't have the answers. We all struggle with pride, vanity, money, desire to take power with fleshly desire. But in the midst of all of that struggle, 
I'm called to integrity, and so are you. And Jesus, as we've been walking through this analysis of the Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about how even if you look to desire a woman, you're already committing adultery with her in her heart. In other words, not just the physical act of adultery, but also the thought of adultery also is a physical act occurring within your brain that you are engaging in. And that is sinning. We see this coming to a head in modern culture with the pornography culture that people are engaging in. And so what do we need? We need the sacraments. We need Jesus Christ. We need to return to Holy Communion, worthily receiving our Lord Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And we do so by first going on our knees to confession, confessing our sins, being forgiven by Jesus Christ. That priest acts in persona Christi. You are forgiven. Your sins are blotted out by the King of heaven and earth. Remember that. He's the King of heaven and earth. When we go to confession, our life is being brought back into proper order because we are reuniting ourselves to the body of Christ and the life of grace that God has in store for us. And that's why, yes, we can acknowledge the fallen state that we live in, but we also must acknowledge, as Pope St. John Paul II said, at the same time, acknowledge a redeemed state of human nature. This is our Theology of the Body series here on Trending with Timory. We are running through week nine in this series. We're approaching the halfway mark. We're starting to pick up the pace. If you're joining me, I hope for the first time, you'll actually pick up the text of Pope St. John Paul II and read his text. There are a lot of commentaries. There have been many courses on Theology of the Body, but what he has to say is so relevant to today. It was prophetic when he wrote it. It helps us to navigate those fundamental questions about humanity, sexuality, how we relate to each other as men and women. I hope you will dive in and enjoy it. Pope St. John Paul II, I'm paraphrasing him, over and over again in this Theology of the Body series says, and again, this is paraphrasing him, that all of human civilization in every longitude and latitude that we depend upon who a woman will be for and before a man and who a man will be for and before a woman. That at the end of the day, this human anthropology, how we relate men to women and woman to man is fundamentally at the core of every civilization in any point in history. And that we see the fall and rise of society based on this. This is why the debate over abortion, gender, sexuality, same-sex interaction has been at the forefront of the Catholic Church, the Catholic battle, because how we understand our human anthropology and how we relate to one another, both on a carnal level, but also on an interpersonal relationship, fundamentally is a part of living out the gospel of Jesus Christ, that understanding even in the midst of any ounce of sinfulness, experiencing same-sex attraction, gender dysphoria, abortion, Whatever you experience, and those are some extremes with all of us, all of us, myself included, has sin that we struggle with, that even in the face of that, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. But will we allow Jesus to step into that space? That is what theology of the body is all about. That is what the human anthropology is. Yes, we have a fallen human nature, but fundamentally, God desired us for himself from the beginning. He's imprinted himself upon us in his image and likeness. And through the grace of Jesus Christ, all things are possible for a life of eternal joy with God. 
Join the Theology of the Body series of podcasts summarizing each week's talks on Theology of the Body are available at relevantradio.com. Just go to the trending page or wherever you listen to your podcast. They're there. They're labeled as Theology of the Body. This week we'll be releasing episode 9 or 10, I think it is, in the Theology of the Body series. And please share this with a friend who is a lover of Theology of the Body or maybe is curious. So relevantradio.com, just grab that link, the Trending with Tim Rate page. I'll be right back here on Trending, taking your questions. Number is 888-914-9149. This September 27th, our show sponsor Colby Academy is partnering to host the Newman Guide Virtual College Fair, which is bringing together the best faithful Catholic colleges and universities from around the world. Register at relevantradio.com slash Colby. Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to Trending. It's great to be with you. Oh, goodness. Lord have mercy. My two-year-old become so bossy (laughs) i'm just this morning she comes downstairs feed her breakfast and i'm nursing my eight month old i can't believe she's almost nine months on the couch and my two-year-old says i'm going to feed my baby and i'll come right back and eat breakfast and i said okay okay i said yes she's looking at me very seriously so she climbs down from her chair and then she walks up to me and she goes why are you feeding your baby without me and I said, excuse me? She said, why are you feeding your baby without me? I need to feed my baby too. Why didn't you tell me? And I'm just, my mind, my mind is blown sometimes. The thing she said, I said, okay, Penelope. And I, and I said, okay, honey, uh, let's, let's talk about, uh, let's, let's talk about not telling mama what to do again. And I didn't say it like that, but in my head, that's what I'm thinking. So I just kind of laugh it off at the moment because I've had a lot of those moments of saying, don't tell me what to do. And I'm having to choose how often I say that because then she'll repeat it back if I say don't tell me what to do too many times. So then she says, I'm going to go get my baby and I'll be right back. And I said, okay. So she starts to walk up the stairs and she starts walking upstairs and she stops at the like the second step. She looks back and she goes, every time you stay where I tell you to. And I look at her and she says, I'm going upstairs. You don't move. Don't move anything. <laughs> I said, okay so she goes walking upstairs walks up three stairs and looks around she says don't move i'll be right back and she goes running back upstairs and i i couldn't help it i was laughing the exchange happened it was just rapidly and probably about 30 45 seconds one thing after another after another and i was reading recently this manual for christian mothers it's a new book i've actually mentioned a lot recently it has a lot of prayers for moms it's prayers for us to pray for our children morning offerings all types of litanies from some of the female saints who are mothers and in the back the last uh, one of the sections of the book has to do with things that we as catholic moms need to impart and teach our children and it has a whole section on how to raise your children, key things that we need to work on. And it actually has a whole part on that threefold concupiscence, right? Pride of life, uh, the things that luster, right? That we look at uh, that are pleasing to the eyes and things that are pleasing to the flesh and how we need to focus on how certain things could be particular challengers for our own children. 
and that we should work on vetting them out. The book's actually very inspiring and challenging and that it talks much about how well-formed even a child's character can be by the age of four. And it's fascinating to read this because I think that we often miss guidance on how to raise our children from a Catholic perspective. One of them that warmed my heart was talking about how we really ought to teach our children about baby Jesus and love of baby Jesus. And if they're struggling to behave, say, you know, would baby Jesus, would little Jesus do that to his mommy? Would would that make Mama Mary happy? And I started doing that recently and because this is part of the guidance in the book. And it's been fascinating to see. When I, I actually said to her earlier, do you think baby Jesus told his mommy what to do all the time? Now, that's a big theological question. But do you think baby Jesus would would yell at his mommy? Or do you think baby Jesus would hit his sister? Yeah, those are the challenges coming up in my house right now. <laughs> and and she usually, I would say 95% of the time has the correct answer. And that she's actually able to think about how baby Jesus would be kind to his mom or wouldn't hurt, um, wouldn't hurt a baby. And it's been very helpful for me. So it was helpful for me in navigating some of the bossiness that we started the morning out with. And I'm really enjoying the book. Well, actually, I'll grab a link to it and post it as well, because I think that's a really helpful book for any other Catholic moms out there trying to navigate the waters. It was a great gift. I actually, it's my sister's birthday. Happy birthday to my sister, Jacqueline. And I actually, hopefully she doesn't listen to the episode so she doesn't know what I got her for her birthday, but I actually got her this book. She's someone who's really difficult to shop for. She is so peaceful and so content and she'll never tell you what you want, what she wants. And so you have to make sure you really think of something because she's not always one to just desire uh, things. And so this is what I got her. So prayers for my sister Jacqueline on her birthday. And I hope you'll check out this book because it's something I picked up for her today and that I've really been enjoying over the last few months. It was gifted to me. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. I had a couple questions come in, uh, two paired together. What's your favorite Catholic book for kids? And then what's your favorite Catholic book? Well, I'm assuming Catholic book. So favorite Catholic book for kids, it's this Carry Me St. Joseph book. I love. I'll put it in the episode notes and post on social media. And it's wonderful because it gives all of the fundamental Catholic teaching about Our Lady in there and everything from her assumption into heaven to our lady being crowned queen of heaven and earth the immaculate conception mary's birthday marrying joseph the nativity all of those are in that book and so it helps to introduce the key ideas in the life of our lady and the role she played in salvation history and so i think that's a great place to start it's actually has a little handle so you it's a board book and you can hold and carry it around it's been one of my daughter's favorite from the get-go. In fact, we're on version two of it. It was gifted to me when she was about six months old and we flew back and forth uh, between the Midwest and California a lot over the last couple of years. And so we used to always take that book with us because she would look at it and she'd talk about Mama Mary. That's another reason I really like the book is that I think it helped in making some of her earlier words, Mama, Mama Mary, and she'd point at Mama Mary. I just love her interaction, love for Jesus and Mary. And that's a grace. I, I pray, we pray for our kids to have that grace. So that's a favorite uh, Catholic kids book. And then favorite book, I have said it and I will stick to it. It has yet to be knocked out of my favorites. And that is Theology and Sanity by Frank Sheed. It was life-changing for me. I grew up Catholic. 
loved my faith, went to a Catholic university. I was at John Paul the Great Catholic University. And I remember it wasn't, I wasn't even in the class, but I had heard that one of the theology theology classes was reading Theology of Insanity. So I bought the book and started reading it, and it was phenomenal. It is very philosophical at the same time as being theological, and it's accessible. But boy, does it get your mind thinking and pondering the truths of our Catholic faith. It's been years since I've reread the book, so I'm due for another reading. So if you are Catholic, you want to dive a little deeper into your faith, it's a great place to start. Or if you know someone who likes to really think about things, enjoys philosophy as well, I highly recommend Theology and Sanity because it is a life-changing book. We've been talking a lot recently about human anthropology, and it helps us to understand how human-centered our faith is, that it is the human anthropology we should live by. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray here on Relevant Radio. Up next is the Family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky. I'm praying for you. Please do pray for me and my family. Thank you.